Hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Have you ever struggled with insecurity or inadequacy? I know that I have, and we're gonna tackle what the Gospel of John says about that. Thanks for sticking with us. Well, a few years ago, I was able to meet a pastor that I so greatly admired from afar up close. I was able to host her at a conference. And if you ever get a chance to listen to Megan Marshman do, she's incredible. And she was just as great in person as I imagined that she would be. She was just as gracious and fun and kind. Um, the longer I spent with Megan, the louder the voice of the enemy of my soul became. The longer I spent with Megan, the more I was hearing these kinds of messages being whispered in my ear. You're just not quite as cool as her, are you? Look at all that Megan has accomplished and look how little you have. What's wrong with you? You are never gonna measure up to her. Who do you think you are to even be here to try and do this same type of ministry? I don't know if you've been there, confronted by the lies of the enemy of your spirit wants to whisper over you, lies of inadequacy, lies of not being enough, lies of taking our past and our mistakes and throwing them in your face, lies that say that there's no way that God could forgive you. There's no way that God could use you. Look at who you are. It's just not enough. It's just lacking. You're discounted. You're disqualified from God using you. Or maybe the lies that the enemy of your soul tells you are like a, a different twist of that. Like if they knew, if the people that you're talking to knew about your past, if they knew all the secret shame and struggle that you still carry through your day, if they knew all of those things, they would never listen to the things that you want to tell them about the change Jesus has made in your life. You're disqualified. You're discounted. Your past your story, your inadequacy, your doubts, your fears, your struggles, all of those together culminate to make you an unworthy disciple, a disqualified witness. We've all faced those lies. And if we're honest, we've all wrestled with those same feelings of being counted out before we even start. We've all wrestled with wondering if grace can really cover it all. If we really um, can stand clean and pure before God, even with all of our faults and brokenness and sin. And in those moments, we have a choice whether we're going to listen to the lies of the enemy as he wants to spiral us down into this inadequacy, or if we're going to listen to the whisper of the Holy Spirit, that still small voice 
that says, no, 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 I have a plan for you. No, 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 I've chosen you. No, you don't understand. That's what the cross was for. And so I'm so grateful that in this moment that we're going to go into today, that the sun rises on another unworthy disciple, that the narrative shifts to still another unworthy disciple, to two individuals who should be disqualified. They should be discounted. But God in his grace says, no, 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 no. I have a plan for you. I can use you. Your story matters. So we're going to turn right now to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to help you get one. Just head over to myevangel.church forward slash Bible. Myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And there's a link there to get um, an app. We love the YouVersion Bible app as well as a form if you live in Powell River or this area and you would like a paper Bible, we would love to get one in your hands as well. So we're going to read through verses 1 to 18, then skip over 19 to 23. We're going to come back to those next week and then continue on verses 24 to 29. So dig in with me. We've got a bit to read. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the, at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. We're going to skip over the next little bit, starting again at verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. So God, thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for Mary and Thomas and the example that you've put in them for us, that though we may seem disqualified and discounted, you invite us to play a part in your story. And so, Spirit of God, would you lead us into all truth as you are the Spirit of truth? Would you reveal the word of God to us this morning? Would you allow it to change us, to shape us. So as always, Holy Spirit, would you just allow your words to go out? Would you allow my own, what's birthed in me, to just float away? Because we want to hear you. Would you speak to us in your precious name? Amen. It's so astonishing to me that Jesus chose those who would, in the view of the world, be disqualified as messengers of his resurrection. He chose those with a reputation, with mistakes, with doubt to speak the news that he had risen from the dead. This was the first wave that was going to go forth um, that Jesus had risen again. This was big news. These are the first people testifying to the reality that Jesus is God. And it's so encouraging to me to see who Jesus uses as these first messengers, these first witnesses, because if he can do that, then he can continue to do that now. He can choose those of us who should be discounted in the view of the world, those of us with a past, those of us with mistakes, those of us with stories we're ashamed of, those of us who have doubts and questions and fears, he can use us today to be messengers of the gospel. There's nothing attached to your past or present that is insurmountable for Jesus. There's nothing attached to your past or present that the cross cannot cover. There's no lie of the enemy that is spoken in your heart that the whisper of the Holy Spirit can't talk over. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are set apart. Your feet have been placed on a mission. And in him, no matter what the world tells you, no matter what the enemy of your spirit tells you, no matter what your own feelings of inadequacy tell you, you are a qualified witness to share what Jesus has done in your life. So let's recap kind of what is happening here when we get to this moment in John 20. So we know that Jesus has died and that Joseph of Aramaeus and Nicodemus have buried him. We talked about that last week. And we know at this moment that the rest of the disciples have kind of like scattered and they're hiding. They watched what the religious leaders did to Jesus and now they're afraid that there's going to be some sort of retribution towards them. And so they're hiding out in these different homes behind locked doors, which is where we pick up seeing Thomas. But we also know that as Joseph of Aramaeus and Nicodemus have 
taken Jesus' body down. They kind of bumped up against the Sabbath. And so some of the burial rites had been completed and some of them had not. And so we have this group of women and we know that it was a group of women and not just Mary Magdalene on her own. From the other gospels, John chooses to just zero in on this encounter with Jesus and Mary Magdalene. But we know that there were multiple groups of women and even Mary Magdalene in this passage in John uses we versus I, <laughs> again, letting us know that she wasn't there alone. And so they've come to finish the burial rites. And what do they find? They find this tomb that had had a big stone rolled in front of it, had had guards guarding this tomb, lest the disciples of Jesus steal away the body in order to kind of create this scandal, to create this controversy, to um, manufacture this wave of religiosity, this following that Jesus had raised from the dead. They put guards there to ensure that that wouldn't happen. And so Mary Magdalene, the rest of the women get to this place and the stone is rolled away. The guards are gone and the body of Jesus is also gone. Now there are a lot of rumors and kind of controversies surrounding Mary Magdalene. There's not a ton known about her and, and Mary was a very common name. And so there have been some who've tried to um, figure out who she was in regards to other women that we've seen throughout the gospels and throughout the ministry of Jesus. So there is a question, was she a prostitute that had been redeemed and had followed Jesus? Was she the same Mary who washed Jesus's feet with her tears and dried them with her hair? We don't really know. There's not a lot written for us in the gospels to find concrete proof of these things. But here's what we do know about Mary. Mary is a woman with a past. She's a woman who has a history. In Luke 8 verses 1 to 3, we see Mary Magdalene, not just a Mary, but this Mary. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is a woman with a past. This is a woman who has known bondage. This is a woman who has known fear, who's known sin. She's been possessed by seven demons, but after an encounter with Jesus, she's known freedom. She knows what life is because she's found Jesus, so much so that she has now chosen to follow closely after him. Where he has gone, she has gone. When there's been a need financially, hers has been some of the provision for that, the support for that. Her life is a testimony of the difference Jesus makes. And so she's followed and supported him. But she still has two strikes against her. Yes, she's been redeemed. Yes, she's met Jesus and she's found freedom. But she was possessed by demons, which would call into question her righteousness under the letter of the law, under this 
Judaism legality that they would have been following. There would have been question as to whether she is a credible witness just from that piece. But her second strike is that she's a woman, meaning she's not credible at all. Devoted follower of Jesus or not, she's a woman. She has already been disqualified as a witness from the point of her birth. She would have had no credibility as a witness based solely on her gender. And that's before her past is counted against her. As a woman, she would not have been able to testify in a court of law. As a woman, her um, statement, her testimony, what she's witnessed would be worthless. She was one that the world would have discounted, one that the world would have disqualified as a credible witness, and yet here she is. She's the one that Jesus chooses to appear to. And not just because this was the most convenient. Remember, John and Peter have also both been in this garden just before this moment. There have been multiple other women here, ones with less checkered history, less checkered pasts. They've all been there, but he chooses Mary. A woman freed from the bondage of the enemy by the power of God. He chooses a woman who had been an unlikely witness, a disqualified one. And he whispers to her, no, 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 you. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. An unlikely messenger, an odd choice for the first witness of the resurrection. Mary wouldn't have even been able to testify in court as to what she had experienced. This is not the person that you hinge the resurrection story on. You don't hinge it on a woman who couldn't give testimony and who would have been maybe even met with disbelief because of her past and because of a misconception in what righteousness and purity would be. This isn't the one that if you were going to pull off the greatest religious hoax of all time, if you were going to pull off this um, conspiracy to hide Jesus's body somewhere and say that he was resurrected, she is not the one that you are going to whisper the story of resurrection to and have it spread. She's not a credible, qualified witness in the eyes of the world she lived in. If you wanted to have credibility and influence, she's not the witness you choose. But if your message is that the cross covers it all, Mary is exactly who you want. She's exactly the witness and the first messenger that you want if your message is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. She is exactly the messenger you want. If your message is there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. What disqualified Mary in the society she lived in qualified her to be the exact messenger Jesus wanted because his message isn't based on our perfection. His message isn't based if we have all of the influence and the status that the world asks for. The message of Jesus is based on him alone. So Jesus didn't put stock in her past or her reputation or how she would have been perceived. He took someone whose world had been completely turned upside down, completely transformed from death to life, who went from being an outcast to belonging in God. And he gave her the role of first witness of the resurrection. That is the grace and acceptance and healing of Jesus. That what the world would say disqualifies you. God looks at it and says, no, no, no. That's a story I can use for my glory. To share the message I have. That the cross was for everyone. You included. And so we see Mary go and she shares the message of the good news with the disciples. And this passage kind of in the middle, we see Jesus appear to them, but there is one disciple that's not there in that room when Jesus appears, and that's Thomas. And so Thomas comes back in verse 24, and the other disciples tell him, look, we've seen the Lord. Like what Mary has said is true. We've seen him with our own eyes. And he says to them in verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. Poor Thomas, this is what he's known for right here. This moment when he chooses to walk in logic over faith, this moment of doubt, of wanting something that's tangible to experience other than just an idea of God. And we are so much like Thomas, aren't we? Like if we're really honest, how many times have we prayed this prayer in a similar way? I mean, not exactly. We haven't been like, hey God, can we put our fingers in the nail holes or our hand in your side? We haven't prayed that, but how many times have we been like, God, if you're real, give me a sign. God, if you're real, would you just do this miracle and then I'll know. Like, God, I'm really doubting whether um, what I believe is true, so I need you to just show up in a way that I can experience. And so often we have these same doubts and questions. We wrestle with this same thing as Thomas. And we want to see God to verify that we've put something, that we've put our faith in something real. And God understands. I mean, that must have been a really hard week for these disciples, right? Jesus has been arrested. They've watched him beaten and flogged and brought from this leader to this leader to this leader and finally sentenced to death. I'm sure their heart was in anguish 
watching the one that they've followed for so long, that they've learned from, that they've laughed beside and, and cried beside and all of those things in deep relationship, hurt and killed. And then compound fear for their own lives and their own safety on top of that anguish. I'm sure that that was just a season of so many fears and questions and doubts. What did I spend the last three years of my life on? Why am I even here? If I had only known when I have walked this road again, God understands. And now here's Thomas and the rest of the disciples are so convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead. And now these people that he had taken solace in, that he had been commiserating with and mourning with and grieving with, they're so convinced and he's the outlier, the one naysayer of the group. And it must have been so hard to sit with his questions and his doubts and his fears in the middle of a group that was so convinced. But Thomas wasn't alone in his doubts and wonderings. Because Thomas had a God who hears. And I think that this is such a beautiful moment that we can sometimes overlook because for the past three years, they've been with Jesus bodily. They've been standing and talking to him as a friend, but face to face with mouths and ears um, in close proximity. And, and we see these moments throughout the gospels where Jesus speaks to the heart of the question, where, where he understands um, like the inner thoughts and the kind of trappings of some of the Pharisees who have been trying to get him to make a misstep. And so sometimes he won't answer the words that are spoken, but he speaks to the heart of what's being asked. And so we see that. We see that divinity on display throughout the Gospels, but this is a moment where Jesus isn't there bodily. And Thomas voices his doubt and his questions out loud to the disciples. But Jesus isn't there. And now Jesus steps into the room and what does he do? He speaks the exact words that Thomas voiced when he wasn't there. See, Thomas is experiencing the ever-present ability of God. But we say, like, God is always near you. God is always listening. He hears when you cry out to him. It's not because he has to be in the room with you bodily. The Spirit of God is. He's with you always. He knows your inner thoughts. He knows your questions and your doubts and your fears. And so here we see a God who is near, a God who is listening, and a God who understands enough to come to Thomas and say, Thomas, this is what you said you need. You said you needed to see the nail holes. You said you needed to see and touch the hole in my side. Here, I know what you need. I've listened. I've heard your cry. I'm here to answer. What a beautiful grace that God offers to us. That he comes to us in the midst of our doubts and our fears and our questions. 
He says, I'm here to answer your questions. I'm here to silence your fear. I'm here to bring certainty to your doubt. Here's my hand. Here's my side. And Thomas believes my Lord and my God. Rudolf Schnackenberg wrote, for him, the doubting one, the final consequence of Jesus's resurrection was laid bare in the encounter with the risen one. Jesus is of divine essence in him. God himself comes to him. Jesus comes to Thomas. Thomas wasn't alone in his doubts and his wonderings. God heard. God heard every question. He heard that fear. He heard the doubt. And what had the potential to derail Thomas's faith, to disqualify him as a witness, turned to faith as Jesus came, as Jesus entered the picture. As Jesus reminded Thomas that he's not alone and he is a God who hears even when he can't see him. That he is a God who's present even when he couldn't sense him. He was never alone. Jesus was always there. And so Thomas finally believes what the others have been sharing and he joins in their faith. In the grace of Jesus to meet Thomas in his doubts, he moves from skeptic to convinced. In the midst of the grace of Jesus to meet Thomas in his doubts, he assures us that our questions, our doubts, our fears don't disqualify us. But if we allow space and stillness to wait, God is faithful to come into the picture and to answer them. To bring certainty to our doubts, to silence our fears, to bring answers to our questions. God is able and willing to meet us in our doubts, in our questions. It doesn't disqualify us. It has the ability to bring us from skeptic to convinced, to bring us deeper in our faith if we will allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We each have a choice to make about Jesus. Is he truly God? Did he really die? Was he really resurrected? But again, these two individuals make for a very strange cover-up or conspiracy if the resurrection was staged. If the resurrection was staged, you just don't use a woman. You don't use someone whose testimony can't be shared. And if the resurrection was staged, why would you put doubts and questions front and center? Like pave a way for everyone else to follow after, that's just not a good way of staging a conspiracy. It's not well thought out unless it's true. Unless God didn't need the testimony of Mary or Thomas to prove that the resurrection had actually taken place. Using these two unlikely witnesses wouldn't have made much sense unless this story isn't dependent on them. 
or on us. The beautiful thing is that if that isn't dependent on us, then that means that despite our broken backgrounds, despite our limitations, despite our doubts, we can be used mightily by God to share what we have experienced, to share the difference Jesus makes in a life, not because we are credible, not because we have influence or power or perfection. No, we can share because the story isn't ours. The story is God's. And we can share the story that we have to tell because it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on him. Our story isn't one of look at me. Look at how amazing I am. Look at how credible I am. Don't you see how qualified I am? No, our story is one of but Jesus. I'm not, but Jesus chose me anyway. I was a mess, but Jesus entered the picture and he set me back on my feet. I was in bondage, but Jesus brought me to freedom. I have so many doubts and questions and fears, but Jesus entered the scene and he spoke certainty and peace and answers to my spirit. Our story isn't one that disqualifies us. That's not how God works. God takes us out of our brokenness and out of our muck and mire, out of our past, out of all of the things that would say you're inadequate, you're counted out, you're disqualified. And he says, that would be true if it were your story, but it's not, it's mine. And so I'm going to take you and I'm going to use you because of those things, because those things show the difference Jesus makes in a life that that's who you were, but you're not anymore. You're a new creation. You're adopted and you're chosen and you're beloved. You've been made holy through Jesus alone, purified and set apart. Our story is not dependent on us. And Mary and Thomas's stories, they weren't dependent on them. They were dependent on Jesus, that the resurrection actually happened, that they were able to see him with their own eyes, touch him with their own hands. Unlikely disqualified witnesses. Unless, unless the story wasn't about them and didn't hinge on their testimony. And in that, the message of the resurrection becomes so beautifully clear. The cross covered it all. And there's life because Jesus rose again. And now anyone, anyone can find a life and freedom and acceptance in the person of Jesus. As I was kind of pondering this passage and, and thinking through all of these things that I could so easily buy into that want to disqualify me, the Holy Spirit reminded me of this truth and I want to share it with you from 1 Corinthians 1 verses 26 to 31. Brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. 
Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, and God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. My story is not contingent on me, if it was, I could get all the accolades. I could get the pats on the backs. I could get the glory. But my story is contingent on him. My story is a but Jesus so that no one can boast. I know I couldn't be saved but through grace. And so I don't get the glory. I don't get to boast in myself. I only get to boast in him. When I come face to face with my inadequacy, with my lack, with all the things that would disqualify me, with all of my past, my mistakes, and with all of my doubts and questions, then I come to the place once again where I realize it's Christ alone. I don't have a part in this. It's all his grace, all his mercy, all his forgiveness, all his covering that calls me holy and righteous and set apart. And so when the enemy of your soul comes with the lies that are meant to discourage you, to remind you that you're disqualified from sharing your story, from sharing the hope that you found in Jesus, from walking forward in obedience to do what he's asked you to do, then you remind him you're right. But Jesus, you're right. I'm disqualified, but Jesus qualified me. You're right. My past is there, but Jesus wiped that out. And so now I can share the hope and the freedom that I found in him. You're right. I don't have anything impressive or credible to stand on, but Jesus said that I am set apart a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And so now I get to share the change that Jesus made in my life with those around me. So now I get to walk forward in confidence and assurance that he is with me and he's chosen me, you're right. But the story is not dependent on me. The story is dependent on him. And that's exactly the reason that he can use it. We're saved by grace alone, as our story isn't ours. Our story is but Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've saved us by grace, that you've called us, you've chosen us, you've adopted us. You know exactly who we are. You know exactly what our past is, you know exactly where we hang our head in shame. You know exactly where our inadequacies lie, our lack. You know all of our doubts and our questions and our fears. 
how merciful you are, that you'd love us in spite of them, that you forgive us fully, that you meet us in the midst of our questions. You're so gracious and compassionate. So we say thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be part of what you're doing in the world around us. Thank you for allowing us to share our story. The story of how you made a difference in our life. Would you, Holy Spirit, just give us such boldness and courage to speak when you ask us to, to step obediently into all you've called us to. And when those lies of the enemy come, would your voice be louder? Would we learn to listen to it? and tune out those things that would drag us back into who we were, the old that is gone, but the new has come. Help us to walk in it. We love you. In your precious name, amen.